and welcome back to the Comic Corner. This is Team Up, and I'm here as usual with Dad. This week we are talking about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, quite possibly one of the worst movies ever, but surprisingly, I every time I read this book, it's it's good. Uh, it it, it kind of draws me back in every time. Something about Mina, she's just amazing. Uh, Dad, do you have a, a a quick thing, a quick a quick thought you wanna you wanna say about it real quick? Yeah, I mean it was fun. It was a good read. Um, like I, I mentioned when we were talking about this earlier, the best part about it was just looking up who all the other characters were. Like this was clearly uh, Alan Moore as an English nerd's like wet dream, and he just jam packed every single penny dreadful Victorian era folk tale that he really could, and yeah. like. The, the, the Wikipedia page of the list of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen characters, fascinating. Just Huge. spend some time on that. Huge compared. But before we really get into it, and trust me, we're going to dive right into this. Would you, would you read Cool this week? Anything? Anything good? Uh, I caught up on Doctor Strange. That was fun. So Interesting. It's, it's still uh, Doctor Strange Surgeon Supreme. So, you know, really? he's, yeah, he's still, he got, he got his hands back. So he is a neurosurgeon by day or like when he's on call and then he's a sorcerer supreme and somebody had hijacked the, uh, was, it's essentially his forge. So he's got like a forge where he can make magical artifacts now. It's the Sanctum Machina, I believe. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's fucking sick. And it was actually, I think it was given to him by the dwarves of Nivolir, which is which plays into the most recent um, issue that came out. But yeah, so he and he and Doctor Druid just kind of teamed up to try to figure out who's been stealing all of his shit. While he's also like, "Oh, I've got to do brain surgery at three thirty. Ooh, I have a brain surgery. I can't." Ooh. Yeah, but it's just like I don't know. It's wild. I'm gonna read Doctor Strange every time they put it out because he's like my favorite. Yeah, I, I was reading. And then X Men. This isn't the this isn't the thing I read this week, but I was reading uh, some of the Ghost Rider stuff. The because like him and Ghost Rider have been in a big fight over the. Danny or not Dan, yeah no not Danny uh Johnny thinks that he kind of got the short end of the stick with his deal with Strange because he had to be in hell for what he thought was millennia and it's like no dude you were there for like a, like six months like you got to calm down a little bit and it's like time and hell works different but uh what do you mean about the the X-Men anything good going on over there no X-Men's just fucking madness and I love it there's just so much going on and like it's tying into empire, which like I caught up on empire and all the shit going on there. The Kotati have invaded earth. And is like, it, so, is it ever going to go back to status? quo? Like, how are they going to send this back to status quo for when they enter the MCU? Because you know, that's what has to happen. Right. Don't care. Give me this weird, like they're really embla- embracing like the sexuality aspect of the X-Men. Just like, give it to me. Give it. Cause yeah. it's completely different than anything they've done before. And I'm just like, I'm eating it up. And there's emphasis on magic and tarot and apocalypse. And those are like my three favorite things in life. Like I just watched the episodes of the X-Men TV series over the weekend in the morning because I had some time featuring apocalypse. Like I'm I'm catching Uh, up on all of it. Are we talking X-Men Evolution or are you talking- No, you get out of here with your X-Men Evolution. You shut your mouth. X-Men Evolution was amazing. All right, all right, calm down. Clearly this is the age gap between the two of us. Uh, and the reason that the, the 90s X-Men is better is because it's got the greatest theme song of all time. And I don't care what you think. Like, you can't change my mind. You're that and Beast wrong. Wars are like, I mean, Beast Wars, obviously, number two, because the, the greatest theme song of all time is the X-Men theme song. The uh, 
no yeah, theme song will ever beat it out. And like X-Men's great. Trust me. It is like the number two theme song. I played a cover set where I played TV theme songs for Halloween one year, and that was in it. But you know what we opened the set with? The greatest theme song of all time, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. All right. If it's the greatest theme song of all time and you guys opened with it, you blew your set. Uh, yes. That was kind of the whole Like We're going to just start with Power Rangers. Let's just start hard and go soft, you know? Power Rangers is cool. And, like, it was written by Buckethead, so, like, that's sick. But, no, yeah. X-Men stands alone. Right. I respect I'm, it. I'm that dude with a it. cup of coffee sitting at a table. Changed my mind. I, I'm not going to because I don't need to because right. you're not wrong. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, X-Men's just getting crazier. Um, and I just I just can't wait to see where it all goes. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited. Aww. Um, so I read the, uh, today I just read uh, the Tales of the Dark Nights. That was a fun Or one. Legends of the Dark Nights, excuse me. Uh and it was wild. The, the story of The Darkest Night is great. And it was a weird, it was really weird. It definitely was some, some Manhattan shit. But also, can we talk about the worst Batman name ever? Bat-Hatton? Yeah, that wasn't the best. Dude, you, Scott Snyder has created some of the craziest shit in the world. And that is lazy. I get it. It's like a one plus one equals two thing, and he had to do it, but God damn it. But All right, so I'll put it this way. The narrator of this story is The Darkest Knight, a.k.a. the Batman Who Laughs. So, of course, he'd be like, dude, get it? It's Bat-Hatton. Like, get it? Get it? Like, fuck you. Anyway, here's the rest of the story. Yeah, that's so pretty that, much think, what it was. I think it kind of plays into the character of it. I wasn't too uh, perturbed by it, but... I'm honestly the, thing that, me, it is the thing that made me happy about it though was the fact that they referenced the button, which is one of my favorite like yeah. detective stories in DC that I've read in a long time. Cause it's truly Barry and Bruce like being detectives, and that's you don't get enough of that with a two yeah, of them. It is essentially like a whodunit. Right. Uh and but the best one by far of those stories is easily the Batman. Or the old Bruce who sacrifices his son Damien in a, de- a demonic ritual to become the like Gotham City as a like in spirit like in yeah he he becomes like the city possessed yeah um, honestly uh, I w- uh, what a I wouldn't be surprised if that's actually what Castle Bat is just throwing that out there yeah there is um, a character from Wildstorm who that is what his powers are he like. He has some, I'm going to look it up, but like his whole power is based on how close to a city he is. And if he's in the middle of a city, he's basically God and can like change the city around him as he needs for stuff. Honestly, the the best part of that was the fine, that final image. Cause it just reminded me of that shot in uh, Dracula, like the old black and white Dracula when it's just his eyes, like looking over the city. It was just, it was creepy as shit, which went along with, and like Damien was like, oh, you're going to gut me. Yeah, it's fine. I get it. I know what you need to do. Yeah. Uh, The character is John Cooper Hawksmoor. He's known as the king of cities. Jack Hawksmoor, the king of cities. Uh, He gains his power from a symbolic link with the city he's in. The bigger it is, the bigger his powers. And he's a member of Stormwatch. All right. 
Yeah, so they kind of spot like in a way cool way because Jack Hawksmore is kind of crazy. Uh, also, Baby Bat was the weirdest thing, but the no, Robin the, King is truly one of the most disturbing stories I have ever read. The Robin King was wicked fucked up, and I was not expecting that to be what they were doing, but they were right in saying like it was going to be disturbing, and it was. Uh, also, yeah. T Rex Bat was the dumbest fucking thing. It had no business. I, I like, I like, loved it, but hated that it took up all those pages in this book. I was like, that could have been a better. Like, I want this story, but I don't want it in could have this because there was only like book. four panels. It could have just been two better panels for two other stories. Yeah, uh, but it was nice to see uh, Scarecrow truly terrified. Yeah. Because that was the whole point of that was to show the one version of Batman that truly, like, he's always afraid of the bat, of the big bad bat. But this was the first time I've ever seen him truly terrified. Yeah, it's a fucking T-Rex. He's a T-Rex who's also Batman. A mechanical T-Rex, technically. Who Wonder Woman just taunts the shit out of in that uh, first death metal. Yeah. So beautiful. Um... Oh, I can't wait to do. I like want death metal to finish so bad, so we can finally, so we could just do death metal for fucking book club one week, and just we'll do like we'll we'll do metal, uh, the Batman who laughs, and then do death metal, like just do it as a trilogy. Yeah. But we're here to talk about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but the one. The rapey, Alan Moore. That's a hell of a way to lead it off. I okay. I mean, we you're not wrong get, because it happens in in fucking page seven. I was say we just got to get this out of the like. Not page seven. It's really like page twenty. But regardless, he, like everything we he does, like so. All right, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> we've talked about this before. Yeah. Uh, well, I was say, do we want to talk about Alan Moore to start, or do we want to talk about the league? Let's, let's start. A, let's have a league. Honestly, we can talk about more real track and then we can shit on more later. All right. So the league, it is honestly one of the most fleshed out universes I've ever read. If you read all the today connected stuff. Today, we're just talking about volume one. Yeah. But each volume and there's three main volumes in the black in the black dossier. And there might even be volume. I think volume four. I don't think they're calling it volume four, but there's another one that just came out recently or a new chapter of this story. But either way, it's basically a universe where all of literature happened. Would you, would you say that's a good, a good definition of this universe we're playing in? Uh, All fictional literature happened. No, I think very specific pieces of, uh, literature happened but like yeah it's just it, this is the justice league of the, the victorian era that's how i would call this oh absolutely and that's, that's that what this kinda, is. also the best part is more is re- flat out refusal to work with dc throughout the entire publication of this series he this was like during his fight with dc comics was the, during the first uh, printing of this uh, of this story. Yeah, I, heard they, I read something on they they retracted something. Uh, DC tried to, and he basically. Oh, we'll get to this later. But in a lot of these books, 
they included vintage ads from like that t- around that time where these stories were happening uh and similar like that just kind of matched the aesthetic of it yeah one of the ads that they put in was for the marvelous douche ah it's like an actual product that you could have bought at the time but the editors were just like no that is like very clearly a dig at marvel comics and more's like no it's it's just a it's just an ad from from like the early 1900s what no and they they wouldn't print it and that was like he already didn't want to work with them and then when they said that he's like that's it i'm out of here this is bullshit yeah uh and everything was printed on abc which was america's best comics which is an imprint of wildstorm which was then bought out by dc comics so unfortunately he did end up having to work with them but that was the whole point was that he didn't he would get away from that and then wow. after that it went to top shelf comics and knockabout comics for the US and UK respectively for printing cuz it's still printed to this day again to the present they're reprinting it all the time yeah it makes sense i mean like you said uh, they didn't make it into a movie and like at that point, it, there weren't very many comic books that made it to the movie. No, and we're going to dive into that too. But real quick, uh, let's get into this story because we read the first we of the two vol of the two main volumes of one and two. We read one. One is what the movie was based on. Uh, we wasn't volume two published like some years later. Uh, no, I think I think it was always meant to be one and two. Uh, yeah, because they were released back to back. Oh, were they? Oh, shit. Well, I just didn't read it all then. Well, yeah, so there was a small break in between. But, like, he wrote one and two. And then years down the line, he wrote the Black Dossier. And then he wrote three, which is a weird, like three issue series where one happens in the fifties, one happens in the seventies and then one happens in the nineties. Yep. And because certain characters gain immortality during the black dossier story dossier. dossier sorry. I'm going to mispronounce it wrong the whole time. I'm going to try French. It the, the dossier, they mispronounce it or ugh, I mispronounce it. That's like the third story and it's very weird. And it also includes stories of like, the league before the league of that we know in the books and the league that comes afterwards. And again, if you read all of the stuff that goes along with this, you'll realize that all of like fiction happens. All right. You, to the point where, uh, oh, what is it? I, there was one instance. Oh, um, from 2000 Leagues Under the Sea. Nemo? No, not Nemo. The one who writes it. No, you're thinking of Moby Dick. That's Ishmael. No, he- uh, Ishmael is in this, but it's the kid. It's a kid. It's in... Uh, it might be in the second volume. But there's one, like... I mean, there's plenty of... Hell. 
I will say this about the second one because we're not going to talk about it today, but I will bring up this real point about it. Like, Dr. Moreau is a major character in the second book. Interesting. I like it. That's a good fu- That's a fucking good short story. Uh, horrific, it's, but it's... it's oh, it story. is super horrific when they go... Like, it's basically one of those, like, yeah, the government figured out what I was doing, so they faked my death and moved me into the woods so that I would just do stuff for them instead. And it's like, what? Excuse me? Excuse me? Um, and then he makes a, a hybrid disease that is anthrax and staphylococcus. Nice. And that's actually what brings down the aliens from Mars of the War of the Worlds, not the common cold. All right. Far out. Hey, man, that's what the British government does. But we're going to get into this book one. Let's get into it. It was based on the movie. Starts off with Mina. It wasn't. The movie was based on it. The movie was based on the book. You're right. And the book. You know, almost. Like, you could almost argue it was not. In fact, on the. Like, in many. You know, like the Wikipedia page, for instance, elements of volume one were used in a loosely adapted feature film of the same name released in 2003 starring Sean Connery, which was his last movie he ever made. This this movie forced him into retirement. It broke him. Uh, But yes, so it starts off with Wilhelmina... What is her maiden name? Murray. Murray's what her she goes by. Yeah, she was Harker because she was married to Jonathan Harker in Dracula. Yes, uh, I am a little disappointed they never really get into like, they're just kind of like points where they're, she just like refuses to take off the scarf or no, but they never really talk about the fact that she's... That's the oh. point of her though. Because she's standing in for the suffragette movement at the time. So, like, she's not being defined by the men that brutalized her. She's her own fucking person. And that's why she refuses to even be like, no, like, I, I'm not that. She changes her name. She divorces Harker, leaves him. Like, I, I thought that was, like, that was one of my favorite parts is the fact that they didn't show that she was a vampire. And that she was just like, no, nah, I got my feminine wiles. I'm going to kick your fucking ass. I, that's what she does. It was cool as hell, and I loved it. But as someone who just wants the more fantastical elements of everything, oh, I'm sorry, there wasn't enough of this in there for you. <laughs> we'll get there, dude. Mr. Hyde biting off people's hands, specifically people's hands. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's even better when they finally ask him, like, what, ha- like, how, like, why he was created. Uh, I believe oh, I hate. Keep, I keep bringing up the second book, but it happens, and he's just like, "Yeah, no." When I was created, I was I was no more taller than a, a small child. No, yeah, it's it's hinted at. Jekyll at one point says it. He says like he's like you know you know I was taller than him at one point, right? Which is mm-hmm. awesome because uh, if you read the the curious case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, it's he is like he is only concerned as like ape like. That's why I loved how they introduced him. Because he wound up being the orangutan or the quote unquote orangutan from the Rue, uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue, which is like Edgar Allan Poe and like Dupin. Like, you're like, all right, more like you got me. We got, we got this wonderful gothic Victorian thing, just a shared universe, if you will, going on. And so, like, he, he really pointed on that. But, like, yeah, I, uh, yeah, 
and that's the, the my biggest problem with the depiction of Jekyll and Hyde. Sorry to get tangential around this, is that he's always portrayed as monstrous and like huge. When in reality, in the book, he's described as like a troglodyte. I believe that's the word that is used over and over again for him, which is a great word. But he's like so, this little, just like fucking. He's described like he looks like a chimpanzee. Is how they describe him in the book, and he just beats people to death with a lar- small, uh, small man with a large forehead. Yeah, yeah, like lumbering, like yeah. like knuckles well, kind of touching the ground. But he's wearing a suit, so he probably looks adorable. Well, he's they not t- your standard. Uh, so they explained it in the second one that uh, basically the reason. I mean, and I'm sure as anyone who's read it knows, like the reason that the doctor separated the two or created it was to like to separate his sins from his himself, so he could be a, angelically pure. Yeah, but his only sins were like masturbating and he quote-unquote stole a book once but more borrowed and never returned is how Hyde describes it that's exactly how like uh more takes that directly from the book like that is straight up like it's it's essentially like Jekyll's like yeah like I felt guilty about jerking off so like I needed to purge myself and like be the ideal Victorian man and then, uh, yeah, and then, you know, he turned into a, a, a half chimpanzee, half man and started banging hookers and smoking cigars. This episode people. is just going to be me being like, this was so cool. He'd be like, this has been cool for centuries. Yeah, Are you I, kidding me? I was going to paying text, attention. I was going to text you earlier and being like, hey, guess what? There's a good chance this turns into an English lecture, like an English class, because like this is. This is just riddled, riddled I mean, with references you know, and analogies. You know that this is one of the ones I've wanted to do since we started this. Yeah, I can understand. Uh, for, for this exact reason, because I want you to go ham while I'm talking about, like, the book itself, like, the story that we're talking about. You're like, no, 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 no. This has way bigger implications in the larger worlds of everything. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So, Mina Murray is honestly one of my favorite female protagonists in anything i've seen she or is badass in this and it is disapp- I, give, I give alan more credit that because she is badass in this and it's just you know the movie because she's relegated to just being a vampire well that's why i take it away from him because he was alan moore was like a huge part of the movie no but i think he, like his big thing was that i thought he he and the creator were like nah dog we hated that part of the movie. Or maybe Kevin O'Neill said it. I don't know. I haven't, I'm, I'm sure he did not enjoy the fact that they butchered that book. But I know he had a, a large hand in it. But either way, she's great. Quartermain, as like, a, as like an opium addict, is beautiful. Sean Connery as an opium, opium addict would have been the coolest shit to ever watch. Yeah, I was really upset they didn't include that. But the rest of that scene, uh, yeah. Again, uh, like to to get to what we talked about, that would have been the perfect scene. That should have been the single scene where it showed that she was more than she, uh, like appeared to be on like in panel. Yeah, that's the one scene where like the vampire shit should have come out subtly, but like it should have come out then, and that should have been the what like that. And then the two other mentions of it in passing that happen throughout the rest of the book. And that should have been it. 
Yeah. Uh, Alan Moore disagreed, I guess. I guess. I mean, I would have he... taken like any, just like, you know, not for her to walk in, find him all strung out and shit, and then immediately get like jumped by three, like almost Lovecraftian looking Arab people who yeah. proceed to like try to rape the shit out of her. Like, oh. it's just not like, that's not the way you want to introduce your strong female protagonist. And it's got to be the doped up old white man who's going to shoot the dudes to be like, leave her alone. Yeah. I mean, she does earn back. Oh, yeah. Her title of the, of the badass, like, very quickly. So, Quartermain is great with her. Quartermain, they get him. The meeting of Nemo is. Fucking awesome. Can we just talk about him for a second and how Nemo great of is, a character he is? And he gets fucking railroaded in this. He only gets cooler. Like, he gets railroaded, yes, but he he's also a, gets cooler as it goes on. Because, like, because every time he gets railroaded, I'm like, no, but he's like the coolest dude. Yeah. Why do you keep doing this? Well, again, I mean, it's I guess it's the joke throughout. So like, he steals steals every scene because he's always like, "Are you fucking kidding me? You're making me the driver, or are you fucking kidding me? You're making me the manservant." He's like, yeah. "The only reason any of you are alive is because I keep you alive." You're like, dude, Nemo, the science pirate. Like, fuck yeah. Give me more of that. Like when he yeah, just he shoots is. the dude in the face with like his ga- his handheld Gatling gun when you see him, or no, that's uh, sorry, yeah. his harpoon gun. Yeah, his handmade automatic harpoon gun, where which you find out later in the book has a hundred rounds yeah. per belt. It's what? Sick. Science pirate, dude! Science pirate. Nemo is the fucking man, and he does not get. I don't think he gets enough respect in this. Well, that's why he got four spinoff miniseries. Good. Uh, good. Actually. Are they any good, though? The Nautilus gets the spinoff series because they're about his daughter for the most part. Ah. And she's more badass than Mina is. All right, far out. Like, they are good. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, I, I mean, they were all, no, they are very good, but they are, they're about his daughter. Right, uh, which are the a lot of the spinoffs, which are still good because it's like Mina and like him are just slammed into one character. Uh, and I guess we're just going through the characters at this point. The introduction of Hyde was really cool as well. Uh, Jekyll and Hyde was really cool as well. I, we already touched on that with uh, what's his what's his detective? Dupin. Dupin. Yeah, fucking crazy little Frenchman from Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, that was a really good one. And his, like, that whole scene leading up to it was really good. And I just love the fact that she just was, the how in the dark they're left about every character they have to meet by uh, Bond. Yeah. Which, could you, do you have any background on Bond? Like, who is this character, uh, Camp and Bond? I can't, can't be on Bond, I think is literally just... Like, so they can use James Bond down the road and say that this guy is Bond's grandfather. Like, that would be my assumption because I, I don't have any, any sort of uh, reference to fall back to on that. Yeah, well, he does, like, James Bond is in later books. That's, that was, honestly, I read that and I was like, oh, Bond. Well, that's got to be about James Bond. So, like, this guy must be an ancestor. That's kind of all I assumed out of him. But he just seems like a shithead lackey, which is pretty funny. Uh, yes. Well, certainly I mean, not the bond you would expect. Let's put it this way. He is 
part, I mean, we all like, we'll get to it, but like, he's part of the bad guy scheme. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of the story, the character who comes in and becomes the new boss, or the new M, keeps him around because yeah. it's good to know, you know, it's good to have an employee on staff you know wants to betray you. Right. And you're like, oh, 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 oh yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, you, you can trust him to be untrustworthy. Right. Yeah, it's like you can trust a liar, but you can't trust an honest man. Yep. With an honest man, you'll never know when they lie. A liar, you know they're lying. Yep. Then uh, there was the Invisible Man, Holly Griffin. Who, another one. Like, if I, now I haven't read the Invisible Man, like the, the short, like, what is it? It's a novel. Yeah, but like, it's a full novel. I, seen, I, was, I tried to read it once, but it's just not my style. I've seen, uh, you know, the original, like the movie from well, it's like the 40s. And again, like, don't think this dude is, is as rapey as he is in this. Like, I don't get it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I almost forgot about that because I was too worried about the one that happens later. The literally the, the, one, the, the way they introduce later, him but... is he is, like, he is raping a virgin in a fucking convent uh, posing as the Holy Spirit. A girl's house. Well, it's a, a girl's it's a, house. Whatever. A girl's boarding school. Right. Oh, yeah, it's because right, it's run by the dominatrix who's also, like, a reference to a character from the old Penny Dreadfuls from the late 1800s, yeah. like Victorian literature. Any, because everything is a reference in this. I would say, I got to the point where I realized that any character who's given an actual name in this book is important. Yeah, it's an allusion, to, it's allusion to something else, yes. Yeah. It got to the point where he was just like, this needs to happen. I wonder what character it should be. Let's flip through Victorian age books and see who it's going to be today. I don't know. I think he knew exactly what he was doing with this. Yes, but I think it does get to a point where he is not reaching necessarily, like, but... Like, like uh, Black Arrow Jack. Like the story of the... Uh, the only reason yeah. is because I looked him up. So he's like, like, you know, the Australian outlaw with a fucking long arrow tattooed on his... A black arrow tattooed on his back. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's a deep cut, I feel like. Yes. Unless he's, yes. Unless he's wildly popular in Australia, and if that case... You know, uh, I gotta get more culture. Uh, I just remembered the name of the kid I was talking about earlier, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, Sorry, Broad Arrow Jack. Yeah, and I mean, we said Hyde was great. That was. I'm glad that they didn't bring that. Dorian Gray is something that the movies added that, that wasn't in the books. Yes, me too. Because uh, he had no part. Like, even in the movie, he only served to betray them. Yes, because they didn't want it to be the Invisible Man. Because for some reason, they wanted to give him a redemption arc, even though they basically played the same character. Yeah. Uh, but he couldn't... Because in the movie, the whole ending is the like the box of super soldiers they're selling to nations with the Invisible Man serum and all that nonsense. So they couldn't have the Invisible Man be part of it because they had they changed the ending so much they needed to add an extra character and that sucks. Yep. Yeah, they they did butcher the story. Uh, but yeah, they were all great. Like their introductions of all of them were surprisingly good and worked out really well. 
oh, I just can't get over that fucking awesome squid submarine. Yeah, the Nautilus is fucking sick. Uh, early in Quartermains, I was just flipping through some panels real quick to, to, to get down to the bottom. And I passed by the, the detox scene that Quartermain has before they go find Hyde. Yeah, it's a four. Where one. he just where he opens the window and it's just like the anglerfish staring yep. dead in the eyes. And then just him sweating. And everyone outside having tea, like, yeah, he he looks less panicky today than he did yesterday. He was like, Yeah, he was yesterday he was just screaming some dude's name for like twelve hours. You're like, damn. Alan Quartermain has been through some shit. Oh my god, I even realized that um, Miss Rosa Coots Correctional Academy for Wayward Gentlewoman, which is where they find the invisible man. Oh, Dean Coots, like the the horror guy, right? Yeah, almost. Uh, but th- it, right on the build, right on the building, it says Schadenfreude, which is pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm getting, you know, I'm at the. Flipping through the pages, I'm where they're finally all together, and it shows the first, uh, the first league, El Gulliver Esquire, Mister and Mrs. P. Uh, Blakeney, the Reverend Doctor Sin, Mistress Hill, yeah. and uh, and N. Bumpo Esquire. Uh, who is the Reverend Doctor Sin? Because I feel like he's a really cool character. I want to learn more about. Uh, the Reverend Doctor Sin is a reference to old i think he's like a bootlegger like smuggler character yeah because like in the book he's just all black with two pistols and a hat and that's really yeah. all you can see and uh, bumpo i believe is refer is a um like an englishman who was raised by native americans yeah that's what it, looks, it looks like a davy crockett kind of character um like like Gulliver, you know. Yeah, basically. the the first pa- like the first pan like the title panel of uh, issue three. It might be one of the best of all of them because it's them having like tea and charcuterie and squid tentacles and pills. Well, I think it's mostly Jekyll having pills. It is just him having pills. But even like beer. the coffee that they're drinking. It has like a tentacle for the handle on the pot. Oh yeah, dude, it's the Nautilus. Everything is fucking uh, squid themed. Absolutely. Because the Nautilus are incredibly intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so when like, they when they the fact they have to go to this this like neighborhood, I don't. Uh, we're gonna have Chinatown? to talk about the races. Oh yeah, because like, like the bad guy is Fu Manchu. Basically, they don't no, that, call that him is, that, but he he is that character from like that era. Yeah, yes, he is. All of them are. Yeah, because uh, even when they talk to uh, Mister Kwong, who's yeah. the like the hotel owner or whatever, the shop owner, and he's like, yeah, he just kind of gives them hints. And what is it? Uh, what's he say? Wisdom of the Orient, my eye. Like as they're leaving. Uh, Griffin says that as they leave, and it's like, God damn. Like, again, we gotta have to talk about it. They they really dive into it. It's Lovecraftian. It this is you described it perfectly. It's the only yeah. like they went so over the top to like characterize it 
like they look like fish people. Yes. Like even yes. when they when they come across the shop owner, it's like he's got tendrils coming from his fucking face instead of a yeah, beard. Exactly. So like when you get up close, that like he he's humanized. He's definitely one of the more humanized uh, characters. But there's definitely that like big lurking fear of the other going on here. If we want to get into some right. high minded talk. Which what I want to know is is this a more thing or is this like a well I'm writing a something set in Victoria like. To just it's a send up of Victorian shit, so like I kind of have to do it that way. I don't He's know. Also- maybe I mean it, I guess it begs the question: Why does he keep choosing these topics? Ah, that's true. Because he we did talk about it when he did the fish people in Providence. Yep. Well, I mean, I guess, and that's done to I don't know, uh, probably mock. Lovecraft, because that's how Lovecraft was literally describing people. Yeah, and again, he's, it's not like he's, he's not the artist; he's the writer. Yeah, but you can't tell me he doesn't have direction. Like, oh, definitely. Uh, what I want to know is, oh yeah, if you look really closely, there's so much of the other that they all have like long nails or hook hands. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the fact that they call. Uh, Shanghai Charlie's. Lots of sharp teeth. Yeah, yeah. Or or missing teeth. And large like smoking devices that I'm not like large sticks with smoke coming out of them. That I'm like, is that a pipe or is that like a what? Opium pipe, man. They're usually yeah. long because so you can lay down on that couch. You didn't have to uh, move far. And then the, the fucking yeah, I was just gonna say yeah. The torture scene with the caustic chemical. Like, I want to know what all of the, like, I want to know what it all says because it probably says some dumb shit. Yeah. It probably reveals the end of it or or something. Yeah, I mean, this, yeah, this whole, all of this happening, all of this text and, uh, I would just, you know. This whole scene is just very cringy. And just Jekyll slowly losing his mind. I would say that is one of the few parts where like the it's a nah. Yeah. It's a six panel page where he goes from like panic to almost changing to like calm. He's like, I had to will myself to be calm. So I didn't cause a scene. All right. Actually, you know, it's funny. Look, look at Jekyll's face over one, two, three, four, five, those six panels. So we start yeah. him being downtrodden. He all of a sudden looks up, something grabs his attention. Both of his hands go down. Now he's biting his lip. Now he's got his eyes rolled back into his head. And all of a sudden, Hyde's almost coming out. And right as he's about to come out, both of his hands come back up. What do you think Jekyll was doing there? I think Jekyll was jerking off in that bar. Uh, it looks no. like he might be jerking off in that bar. Look at him. Look at that face. I feel like... If he jerked off, Hyde would have come out. I mean, Hyde almost did. He would have came Hyde. You know? I mean, yeah, that just means that he stopped himself. I feel like it's one of those like fists at his like at his thighs, maybe punching himself. Like, don't you fucking do it. But he did bring the hat back up. Yeah. Yeah. So he put he, he yeah. So Jekyll got a boner and he put his hat down to hide it, and then he got a little uh, hide it, and he got a. You know, he got a little excited. 
brings it up. He brings it up at the most hide point. So I don't think. And then I just love that, like he's gonna dab himself down after. Yeah. Hey man, he's just a. He's so gross. He's, he's like a Slurpee Murphy. He is a drippy human being. A drippy Diane, if you will. Ugh. Uh, every time we're on the Nautilus, it's like my favorite thing ever. The light with the fish in it. Ugh, beautiful. So, so yeah, like the, the story has found all of these fucking assholes coming together. Yeah, they all come together. They're working for some guy. They've been who... hired by a, um, someone only known as M, who, as Mina points out, obviously has to be Mycroft Holmes. Because, like, the whole thing is set after Sherlock's death. Yeah, the death of the Reichenbach Falls. Yeah. And, but in that, like, I mean, Victorian-era British government M, there is only Mycroft Holmes. So, like, yep. ob- obvious, obvious answer. Like, yep. That's who Bond works for. Yep. And then they, you know, they do all this stuff, and they got to find the, was it Corverite? Corderite? Yeah, Corverite. Corverite. It's yep. uh, anti-grav material. Yep, it's casual. It's really just a, a MacGuffin. They, like, yes. bring it up, and they talk about how they're going to go to the moon in, like, the 1800s. You're like, this is steampunk as fuck. Yeah. Oh, they were deep. Yeah, they were ready. They wanted to kick off 1900 by yeah. putting, uh, yeah. putting Britain on the moon. They definitely... So uh, my whole theory of them writing both, like, one and two were, like... I have a larger theory that says that the only reason he wrote one was because he wanted to write two. But he had to come up with a, like a first story that made the second story make sense. Gotcha. And that is why there's constant nods to it. Like, and it says on one of the pages when they're in, um, they're getting off of the Nautilus and they're in, what is it? Lime, whatever. Yeah. Chinatown. Yep. And uh, eruptions on Mars may be volcanoes. It's like a newspaper that someone's holding. And then they mention it again in passing that the gas on Mars is doing something. Also, and there's like. Out. Sorry. Uh, Hyde asks to see the manager. Yeah. Hyde is Karen. And then he tears the person apart. But I love uh, that he's just as eloquent as Jekyll. Like, of course, it's Jekyll. Is that you? Of course not. Of course, it's not you, cretinous freak. Oh, yeah, way down there. Yeah. And that, like, I love that he can see. And I think that's important, too, that they show you that Hyde can see the invisible man. He just doesn't let Griffin know that he can see him. Oh, no, that's a huge point in the second book. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That, that's definitely like a hey, this is going to come in handy at some point, and it doesn't happen in the first one. Right, and he just pretend, yeah, because he can see uh, like heat yeah. signatures. Yeah, yeah, he sees in like infrared. Yeah, which is weird. Imagine walking around seeing in that. I mean, if he's primal, you know, like a dog. Mm. I don't know if dogs see in infrared. I assume it's I don't know. No, it's I don't know how that works. I'm not a scientist. Time. Yeah, watching him just eat hands. Yeah, yeah, literally time. just biting off people's hands. If I said I want to see the manager, then bring <laughs> me the manager. Yeah, that's exactly that's that is two panels. That's only yeah. two. Yep, literally tears the dude apart. 
Cleans no, his hands. I think he crunches him into a ball. Like it looks like he's crushing him, like squeezing him into a small ball. Right. Oh, Regardless, face, it's brutal. Every time I see it, it's just like large, beady eyes and teeth. Horror. Horror. Um, but yeah, the corporate is such a weird thing. Them getting out of there. It all happens very fast after the at this point in the book. Getting yeah. out of there, they smash through, they come through the river, they turn off the thing, they're picked up by the Nautilus. Then all of a sudden Griffin's gone. <laughs> I just can't, there's, then, a, there's a full page of Hyde as they're escaping. Uh, one hand in his mouth, two, uh, well I guess one dude in both hands kind of at the same time, and then just other dudes with hands missing beneath him. And him putting off another hand. Oh, when he's fighting everybody? Yeah. 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 He loves hands. Ripping somebody in half. Wait, hold on. I gotta take out my headphones for this. That's pretty much what happens, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna keep that in. It's gonna be such a good one. Yeah, that's a good sound bite. Yeah. The going forward, it just ah. The the reveal of we're at the point. The reveal of Moriarty being the being M slash the bad guy is one of the best things. Oh, it's the best thing about all of this. Well, I, uh, yeah. Even reading it, I was like, it's definitely Mycroft. Knowing that I've read this before and I've seen the movie, and I still was like, no, it's Mycroft Holmes. He's the bad guy. Of course he is. And it always turned out to be Moriarty. Oh, of course. Call me James. Yeah. And I can only hear him as the actor in Sherlock, even though that is not say, how he's depicted ex- at all. No, 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 no. Yeah, with uh, Cumberbunch. It's enjoyable that you get to see him and Holmes fight to the death. Yeah, you see the events of the Reichenbach Falls. Do they, do they go over those in... Uh, do they describe them in as much detail as they show here in, uh, in the books? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, they fight, and it's like I'm pretty sure it said that they both plummet over the falls, and then that's just do. kind of it's they're they're both assumed dead. Yeah, I believe they both do fall over the fall. Oh no, he, my uh, Holmes throws Moriarty over the falls, and then Moriarty just like breaks all his fingers and legs. Yeah, but he's somehow fine, mm-hmm. and then Sherlock fakes his death. Well, they or, don't say that. It's uh, Moriarty keeps saying his. Um, like yeah. He refers to Sherlock being dead. He refers to Sherlock in the past tense. Right. And he tells him to shoot, you know, shoot them. Morin. Yeah, Moran, yeah. Morin, Moran. Uh, yeah. And it just, they never show, and just like shadow boxing. We're all just shadow boxing. And then he explains his whole plan in the next panel. Yes. About whether or not he is a, an intelligence director who's posing as a crime lord or a crime lord posing as an intelligence director. Yeah, but really, because... it's just a little bit of both. Yep. So he sits in the government because after he came back, you know, who better to take to seize the, under, the underworld than Moriarty? 
Well, no, wasn't that the whole point? He was recruited. They even says it. He was recruited out of school. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. By the government to run a like to run a uh, a crime empire. And then when his crime empire, like when he falls, quote unquote, it, he just he does both from the government. Yep. Ah, such a good government's bad story. Fuck you, Griffin, and your stupid put-on-a-police-outfit idea. I hate that. I hate that he does that. I I like to think of the idea that he's just walking around fucking with people. That's pretty funny. Well, yes, but, like, also the fact he's walking around naked fucking with people. Yeah. in your pocket. That's, yeah, there's something inherently creepy about that. Yeah, that he has to be naked. Yeah, it's a little much. That's for sure. But when he beats that cop with a shovel and then takes his clothes. Yeah, it's a little much. And he's just walking around. Oh, is that? That is a symbol of the uh, Masons. Oh. Where? Uh, It's right after he puts on the cop's clothes, the constable's clothes. And the next page, you see the constable's foot in his sock like naked with the you know in the sock oh yeah and he's walking underneath that archway and you got the yeah that freemason the two um compasses compass i where's the second what yeah it's the yeah like the two like you know the the two point compass things i don't know what they're actually compasses compass i i don't think it's compass i no but it's funny um, the spooky bridge with all the ghost, with like the specter's face. That's kind of weird. Uh, yeah. Oh, there. The talk of like this is where Quartermain's it's starting to reveal the romantic interest between her and Quartermain. Yeah. It gets so in the second book, it gets super weird, and they like fuck graphically a few times and he is old yeah like like it is he's drawn like the michelin man that's gross wait yeah Like his body is so like wrinkly when they like they show him take like he's almost drawn with like all these weird roles like the Michelin Man. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. As is the, her next car. It's very different than you would imagine. Uh, she even makes a joke of just or a point to say like, yeah, it's not the two um, innocent little bite marks on my neck now, is it? Yeah, because it's basically her entire throat got torn out and scarred over. Yeah. But yeah, uh, them up there complaining about it. Oh, now I can't get the them fucking out of my head. That's oh, it's so weird and creepy. It's like when uh, when you finally see Mrs. Garrison when and she's fucking Richard Dawkins in South Park. Exactly like that. Pile me in my monkey hole. <laughs> <laughs> Pile, pound me in my monkey hole. That was uh, that was, that phrase was said numerous times on that episode. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. 
Um, anyway. But yeah, their their whole thing. I mean, it gets long. Like the uh, even the English that they draw are fucking horrific looking in this book. Maybe that's everyone it. who's <laughs> not a main character is, and even the main characters are like uncomfortably, like chiseled isn't the word, but sculpted might be. Yeah, they're very angular. Yeah, but the like, like their faces the, like very sharp, sharp. Everybody has very well outside of Mina has like pretty sharp cheekbones, sharp faces. Right, and then you see like the townspeople, and they're all drawn like fucking animals. Yeah, yeah. And again, I just want to point out they're all drawn hastily. Would be what I would say. Yeah, I do want to point out that it's Nemo that figures out that they're working for Moriarty, and that it was he was like, yeah, we just Moriarty just wants us to take this competition. Yeah, what do you? What, it's pretty obvious, guys. I don't know what the rest of you have been smoking, but and then they get out the fucking uh, the Victoria, Doctor Samuel Ferguson's uh, air balloon from Around the World in Eighty Days. Yep, beautiful. Just like they another stop it. another nod to uh, Alan Moore's childhood. Oh yeah, keep going with it. That's how they do it. What's up with like the Batman motif? You think it's all his time working on Batman that he was like, "Oh, it's got to be a bat." I mean, Boyardi's. I yeah, I guess the bat up top. I don't know. It's kind of really dark. I almost saw it as like a weird Egyptian thing at first, but now I do see it as a bat. That you mention it. Oh, I only ever saw it was like always very clearly a bat. Oh yeah, I kind of went past it pretty quickly when I first read it, but. I just thought it was like some weird like Anubis like thing. Yeah. The whole warship is a very weird design. Doesn't make total sense, but it doesn't have to because it's steampunk and it's propelled by it's you know, propulsed. It's by, preposterous. By a the green glowing light with vaguely scientific uh source material? It's yeah, it was a, uh, it's Cavorite, which was made by this doctor, and only he knows its power. Yeah, pretty or much. Only, he knows its secrets. It's kryptonite, and it makes stuff fly. Yeah, that's that's kind of where it goes. Yeah, then they take this hot at, hot air balloon and they just infiltrate, fucking Moriarty, yeah. straight up Avengers style. Uh, but then it goes back to the the like the doctor. As they refer to him, the bat, like Moyardi's competition, the devil doctor, the Chinaman, oh, with yeah. the fucking, the like the long you? fingernail, like curved fingernail. It's just, it's so bad. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's, that's Fu Manchu. That's who that is. And then you get, yeah, yeah uh, I just love fucking Nemo's fucking guns. They're amazing. The Gatling guns come back yeah. out again. The handheld Gatling right. guns. Hundred round. This is where you learn it's got a hundred rounds in it. And you're just like, what? What? I will say some of the death scenes are really creative in this. Like a sword that goes into someone's mouth and out their cheek, but cuts their ear off on the way. Yeah, it's like gnarly. that's not real. Like that's not, or the guy who's like slitting his throat 
slitting someone's throat as he's being shot in the head so his eyes popping out. Oh, I did see that. That's a good one. Like, some of these are just... Or the guy with the axe in the back of his skull while he's, like, choking someone else. To, like, it's it's all horrifically violent and doesn't quite make sense. Like, there's definitely a few, like, arms and heads that, like, are supposed to be doing damage that aren't. They're just, like... I'm going to draw more heads in this picture. I like, um... Like the two dudes, there's one guy with the front of his face bit off, and there's other dude with the corner of his head bit off. So it's supposed to be like Hyde took their head, smashed them together, and just bit both of them at once. Oh, we're talking down there. All right. Before we get there, though, we have to talk about arguably one of the most important scenes in all of these stories, or at least in these first two books, for sure. When Mina is slapping Jekyll in the face. Yeah. Uh, and he turns immediately. He's like, I told you to stop. Yeah, and Mina is just like, nope. Like, you're hurting my hand, and you should uh, release me right now. Like, just doesn't flinch in his face. Is like, get off of me. Like, I don't care that you could arguably, su- like, sunder me in half and eat part of it. She's like, get off of me she's right like, now. She's like, yeah, I got you, homie. Yeah, she's not afraid of it. And there's a... It might be later in this, but I think it's in the next one where they have, like, a sit-down conversation about how um, she's one of the people he wants to kill in the world the most, but he can't because there's a voice in his head louder than his own that says if he kills her, the next thing he needs to do immediately is kill himself because she's the only person on the face of the planet who is not truly afraid of him. All right. Interesting. It's, yeah, it's a real cool, like, see, and then he's just like, all right, you need to go away now. And he's just him by himself in a suit in a chair, just like hide in a suit, just like contemplating what he just said to this person. It's like the one of the only times he's truly introspective as a person, as a character. Yeah. And it's because of that scene. Like, it's, it's awesome. But yeah, no, him, him just taking people out is great, but no one kills people quite like Nemo does. No. No, it's amazing. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's because he just hates the British, or the English, so much. He, at this point, I think Nemo hates everybody. But yeah, he, he certainly hates the Imperials, and specifically England. Yeah, no, he has a weird affinity for the rest of the group until the next book where he finds out, you know, Hyde rapes Griffin to death and then he finds the body and he's very unhappy about that. He tries to kill Hyde like three separate times after that. Uh, He thinks Mina and Quartermain are like just awful people, like betrayers. (laughs) Like he gets the... There's like a whole the I mean the reason is for him to storm off and tell them to never look for him again. So it's just to cut Nemo out. Yes, but it's he's so outraged with all of their petty bullshit that he's just like I'm done. I'm out. You're all monsters and evil. I'm gone. But he does make a point about like they might have to blow up a bridge, and Hyde's like, oh, you're so cold and calloused, and he's just like. 
I mean, it's it's good, ta- you know, it's a good tactic. There's if the, one of these things crosses the bridge, we have to kill it, and unfortunately, we'll have to kill all. Like you know, we have to make the unfortunate decision to end the lives of all these. And Hyde cuts them off and goes, "Humans?" And he goes, "No, the English." He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, oh, "Oh yeah, okay, oh yeah, you hate that? I'm gonna love it." But yeah, him and Hyde just taking out hordes of people is beautiful. The final like fight with Moyarty's a little anticlimactic. If I mean, I'm it's, being it's like it's two old men fighting. Like, what would you? Well, it's Mina Quartermain and him, and basically, it's just like she smashes the thing, and he jumps on it and floats up into space. Yeah, that is it. Yeah, him just floating up into space is pretty silly. Um, it's almost like they're like, all right, we're going to keep this character around. And I forget if he comes back, but I doubt it. I think there's mention of it later of him going somewhere. Like, he can't go to Mars, but maybe. I think he comes back in one of the sequels because I saw the panel where it's like, they refer to him as Sir James. And he was like, please just call me M. Oh, uh, I think that's in... And it's like him in with like a breathing I think mask. In, and... I think it's in volume three. It's Centuries. He's in one of the Centuries ones, I believe. It's like him in 1969. just like 150 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, but this brings me to the one point that I really did want to talk to you and ask you about. Uh, it's after they go it the the sh- they take the, the the fuel thing the corvette that's flying the ship they've removed it so now it's just a fucking hunk of metal in the sky that's falling to the ground. I love the realization on their faces. Yes, of like, oh shit, what have we done? But when you when you go down, they're they're all like all the main characters have gotten on the balloon. They're flying off, quote unquote. But you see the large splash page. It's like a page and a half of everyone jumping like off of or falling off of the ship all yeah. the the men and like why are there are they taking their clothes are they stripping naked as they're falling to their deaths yeah i don't know are that dude clothes like... falling off as they're dying or as they're falling because there is one two three four five people that you can clearly see getting naked as they're falling and one, two, three of them, they only have, like, one pant leg on. Well, do we know who the dude in the blue robe is? Because they were probably all with that guy. So well, those, like are one... some of the, those are some of the, um, the war kites flyers oh, of, right. uh, of Fu Manchu's. Those are the guys in the blue robes, and the guys in the green pants are all uh, Moyarty's army. Yeah, dude, I don't know. Uh, it's I don't know. But like, they're just like the dude in the uh, the corset. Like, what? Hey, you know, maybe he's a little self-conscious. Hey, I let's put it this way: if we were living in the Victorian era, I would also be wearing a corset. There you go. There it is. Uh, but yeah, just the fact that they're all like stripping naked as they're falling to their death is so weird to me. All right, so yeah, everyone falls to their death. The group all lands in the water. The Nautilus picks them all up yeah, with the tentacles. Yeah, fucking Nemo saves them again. Always, always. Well, Ishmael saves them. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ishmael and uh, Broadhour Jack. Yeah, 
And then you finally, finally get to meet Mycroft Holmes. And we figured out the, the mystery of what happened to his brother. He ate him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly it. But Mycroft is always enormous whenever they refer to him in the uh, literature. I mean, I always liked What's-His-Face to plays him in... Yeah, Mark Gaddis. Yeah, just because he's enormous, he's just tall. Like, that's the whole thing. He's just, like, super fucking tall. Oh, no, they do, they, like... Sherlock makes fun of him for, like, his weight, because they're, like, he's always working out and stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There, there's you definitely, you there's see him in the show, there. like, doing pull-ups and stuff. Yeah. Well, like, real talk, who is this robot butler? Uh, That's what I want to know. It's a clockwork man. Like, who is the clockwork man? Uh, robot butler. Ernst. His name is Ernst. And he is the first man made of clockwork, hailed as a marvel of the late 19th century atom- uh, automation and gains endless admirers. But uh, when his love for the daughter of his creators abruptly comes short, his serene existence is shattered. How do you spell his name? Uh, it's a book. He's based on a book called... Right, this better be right. I'm going to be so mad. I'm trying to find him in that list. Nope, and... that's not it. Uh, it's, it's not it. That's yeah. something different. Well... Fuck. Sorry, this is a... Well, piss. Yeah, it's something that's like... Oh, there's another book by E. Is this it? Yeah, this is it. It's the Clockwork. The, it's a character from the Clockwork Man, a book by E. V. O. D. Edwin Vincent Old. Actually, yeah, it's Edwin Vincent Old. O. D. L. E. He was born in 19, 1890 and died in 1942. He was editor and author from 26 to 35 and the first editor of a British short story magazine, uh, Augracy. But he wrote a book called The Clockwork Man, and that's absolutely what that is. What's the the character in that's name? Fuck, Nyarlathotep shows up? Yeah, I think there is eventually like a crossover with Lovecraft. He does show up, yeah. Fucking Dean Moriarty. His name is just, just The Clockwork Man. Like, he doesn't have, like, an actual name. And it's clearly just an illusion to him because he just shows up in the background of something. Yeah. But, yeah. And then you see the first shell hit the Earth. And it's like, that that concludes our first remarkable and rousing narrative. We have the red planet right next to it. Um. Yeah. The all the Mars stuff they do is so cool. But yeah, I I genuinely think that uh, the only reason he wrote the first book was like he got an idea for it, and then a better idea came around for the second book, and he was like, I have to do the second book, but he had to do the first one first. Yeah. For those like I I did yeah we explained it right the the second book is these characters during. H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. Yes. Yes, that is true. It's beautiful. That's a good one. Maybe one day we'll do a sequel to this and we'll do we'll read the second book. 
return to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I make sense. This one, again, like Alan Moore is a crazy person, but this like isn't that crazy of a thing. I mean, you said that Hyde rapes a man to death. That's in the second book. That's okay. Yeah, still. Uh, and I mean, it's not. You don't see it, but it's very heavily implied. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think he even says, someone's like, eh, you killed him? And he's like, takes off on the fact that he died comfortably. And he takes a pause. He goes, comfortably. It's like, what? No. But, uh, the Alan Quartermain story at the end of the version of this book that I was reading, it's a lot. Two, three, four. It's like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13. Yeah, there's like 20 pages here, eh, 15 pages of like short story at the end of this book. About Alan Quartermain. Yeah, I don't think that was on the copy I have. Yeah, Alan and the Sundered Evil. I didn't read it because it's a lot. Uh, um, I ended up reading the the second book instead. But I have read these things in the past. Not this one, but I think the Black Dossier, Dossier and something from the next, the second one. And they're good. And you're just like... you. Alan Moore clearly just wanted to write a book and no one would pick it up. So he's like, well, I guess it's got to be a fucking comic book then. <laughs> like, if you're not going to print what I actually want to write, I guess I'm going to write a fucking comic book again. Jesus. Yeah, I was like, when did this come out? 99 to 2007. Fuck. Was the... I mean... Yeah, no, oh, because that was a ABC Wildstorm in DC, and then I went to the. Because it's been 99 to the present. There are 21 issues plus one original graphic novel. Uh, and then they do add Orlando, but you don't get to meet him till the third book. The Black Dossier, who's also a main character of. Like the Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen are all the characters we met in this book and Orlando. Yeah. Which is like a casual Virginia Wolf. Yes. Uh I believe I don't I haven't read the Virginia Wolf thing with him, but I'm pretty sure in the comic he's either the one that leads them to or discovers them shortly after they find the fountain of youth. Because it's in the third I see the third book. The third book is the Black Dossier. Dossier. And then there is a volume three, which is Centuries. But that's the dossier is where they find the Fountain of Youth and become immortal. Alan and... Actually, I think it's Alan's son, technically. And Mina. Like, Alan Quartermain Jr. and Mina are the two who become immortal. Yeah. And she fucks him, too. Nice. Or maybe he does just become. Maybe he just gets younger when he gets in the fountain. I don't know. There's also an entire story uh, where they do acid and then they lose each other for 20 years. So 
All right. Like, they go to a festival together, they do acid, and then they lose each other for until the 90s. Yeah, I did see something about a hippie fascist being president of the United States and forcing people over 30 into internment camps and being forced LSD. Uh, they take it willingly, I think. But yeah, it gets wild. Like the, like, the big brother government happens, but it happens in like the 40s. I mean, yeah. All right. That's when it was written. Um, Which makes sense, because, like, that shit happened in, like, you know, Europe. Yeah, it's a, it's a very... It's a, yeah. The next thing that happens is Mina and Quartermain achieve immortality uh, in their next adventure in 1958, which follows the events that take place after the fall of the Big Brother government from 1984. Nice. There's so much we could we could really just like like stupid dive into this, but I mean, let what was your favorite thing about this? Like scene, panel, reference, character. Like what is the thing that made you and like one of the things, like, I'm glad I read that because of this one thing. I don't know. I just like the, like I said, the menagerie of uh, all the characters to look up and go through. Because like I'm a folklore geek, and it just gave me more shit to read into. Mm. Oh man, Springhill Jack shows up. Yeah, yeah, it gets weird. It gets weird. Uh, I honestly, I loved all of it. Uh, I guess I love love Hyde so much. Especially when you meet him for the first time because I'm just Edward. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, no, I think like Nemo and uh Mina are like the best parts. Mina first, then Nemo. Science pirate. Science pirate, yeah. Uh and I guess on that, like, you got any final you got any final thoughts on this? Yeah, I know. We, no. I was say I know we said we were gonna get into Alan Moore, but like I just don't want to talk about him because we talked about him so much during Providence. No, it's fine. We don't have to at all. I'd prefer not to. Yes, but what are your final thoughts, Dad? No, it was good. You know, I'd recommend it to people who are uh, fans of Victorian literature, or if they want to get into it and need a new medium because some of it's like dense to read. Uh. That this is definitely a springboard into it. Yeah, I would say I would honestly I would recommend this to a lot of different people. Uh, like, I mean, people who are into superheroes but want something a little different. That's this is what this is. This is the original Victorian superhero shit. Uh, I mean, this is like full blown action. Uh, people who do like this is what like this movie when I was a kid. And this book, when I was a little bit older, were things that got me, like, the only reason I ever read the Dor- like the story of Dorian Gray was because of this book, uh, because of the movie. And then he does show up later in one of the other books, but, you know. It was the movie that got you to read the picture of Dorian Gray? I was a child when the movie came out, so yeah. I mean, all right. So when the, book, when the book came across me when I, like, later in life, I was like, oh, 
I know this from the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I will read this book. And then I read it. Uh, I thought you meant like you picked up, like after seeing it, you went out and you picked up the picture of Dorian Gray. Oh, no, 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 no. The book came many years later. Yeah. Because it just, it happened to cross my path. Because I'd also heard that it's good. It's just boring isn't the right word, but dense. It's very dense. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's Victorian. And then I read it. And for a book that I could fit in my back pocket when I was riding the train, it was dense. Yep. It was dense. But creepy. A little creepy. Oh, 100% creepy. Like super creepy. Kind of dirty, but... Yes. Yes. Uh, But yeah. Wild, uh, Wild did love him some dirt. Yeah. But either way... Uh, like this was great honestly i would tell people to check this out if they have interest in a lot of the different things that happen in this um sorry i just saw that in 2013 fox ordered a pilot for this with michael green serving as writer and ep i see that one far yeah they the pilot episode yeah, I guess it never happened. Neither Nor nor or Neil would be producers on the series. It also has been reported the pilot episode would still be broadcast even if Fox opted not to greenlight the series. Well, that clearly didn't happen. No, no, it did not. Um, but yeah, I really like this. This I. I liked it so much that I just like plowed right through the second one almost immediately afterwards. So, and it's a quick read. It's not like it took us for like it took us very long to read it. Yeah, it took me a couple hours on Sunday. Yeah, and that's like if you're really diving deep into the backgrounds and looking up characters and all that stuff. But oof, it was good. And again, all the stuff they put it like all the vintage ads were really cool at the end. Uh. Like, there's just a lot of weird ancillary things they would put into these books. Uh, I believe there's a board game that they put into the second book that's based on Candyland. Interesting. Yeah. Like, it's like they put the board and the rules, and they're like, you just need a dice and a coin to play as your character. And you just like traveled the the board. It was very strange. But yeah, that was always really cool. But I don't know. I I highly suggest this. So next time we're going to be doing Exit Stage Left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles. Uh, It is a comic published by DC. Big surprise there. Uh, With a reimagining of the classic Hanna-Barbera character that we all know and love. As a playwright in the 1950s. Yeah, no, I'm excited for this. Uh, have you read this one before? No. No. Uh, okay. I was. Say, I thought you might have because this came out when we were living together, and there was a lot of, a lot of cross pollination uh, in our comic book uh, loving. But and I was highly recommending this to anyone. Yeah, I'm, I may have. I don't really remember it. Maybe an issue or two, but it was. It's really good. It's like not goofy which is cool i'm i'm excited to talk about this it actually does talk about some some serious topics too and 
It was written by Mark Russell, and it's six issues, so we're going to do it. And I guess on that note, Dad, you got any uh, last-minute things you want to say to the people at home? Uh, no. No, I don't. Okay. Well, uh, as usual, wash your fucking dirty hands, you small child people with sticky hands. Mongrels. Mongrels. All right, then. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Later. Later.